Cineboys to Cinemen, episode 20. 20. 20 episodes of pure cinema glory. Feels like a, a real landmark. Oh, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if that's because I don't really do a lot. <laughs> that feels like a landmark to me. But uh, <laughs> I think it's, uh, yeah, yeah, huge deal. I haven't done 20 of anything. So this is my first ever 20th of anything, apart from aging. Yeah. I've done 20 of lots of things I wouldn't want to disclose on a podcast. Oh, it's nothing yeah. I could be proud of, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's like marathons or push-ups or anything. It's all just the kind of stuff you don't want anyone to know. Not even yourself. <laughs> You're not comfortable with yourself knowing, you know. <laughs> no, yeah, agreed. <laughs> uh, hope you're well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing. Uh, this week, uh, the long-planned, long-in-the-works episode uh, around the subject matter that all three of us were immediately enamoured with the moment Alfie Martin broached this to us on that blustery eve, that blustery drunken eve. <laughs> Bloke exploitation cinema. And of course, we can't not do that without the man himself, the scourge of the underworld. <laughs> the, man wow. who, the man who pays the, the owner of Stone Island. It's... <laughs> Alfie Martin. Alfie Martin. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm, I'm fully dressed up in Stone Island now. Yeah. It's a shame that this isn't a video podcast, so yes. people can't appreciate that. And my hideously sunburnt face. Because um, I live in the Costa del Crime, of course, which is why I'm recording remotely. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me on the 20th episode as well. What a, an absolute honour it is to be back. Oh, yeah, yeah no, man. Wouldn't wouldn't be a wouldn't be a 20th episode without you. No. Uh, well, I guess not by definition. No. <laughs> <laughs> it also would be a 20th episode without the work of Nick Love at all. And I oh, guess before man. we go into the meat and potatoes of the discussion, Alfie, give us and the audience, all three of them, uh, <laughs> we make that joke every week, and uh, yeah. <laughs> on, on the subject of uh, uh, poor viewership, no, no messages as well. Forgot to mention that. Yeah. <laughs> no emails, no Instagram messages. No, uh, no. Please, please do message us well, on Instagram and email. I, I have been emailing you, but I, I'm guessing you're not getting them. But it's mostly just uh, asking if you guys want to hang out and watch any Nick Love films. <laughs> 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 oh yeah, I've seen them, mate. I don't know whether they're uh... <laughs> <laughs> really weird. Yeah, yeah, just they get deleted as soon as they uh, come in. I guess. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's weird, isn't it? Um... <laughs> but yes, bloke exploitation. And it, uh, I want us to cast our minds back, as sort of alluded to earlier, a drunken discussion, and we were talking about the podcast and episodes that we of subject matter that we can discuss. And you coined this term, and it immediately it sort of roused, or brought so many films to mind. Uh, many of which we're going to discuss in this episode. But I guess before we really get into it, Alfie, give us your sort of definition of what a exploitation film is. Uh, I think uh, much like its namesake, which is black exploitation cinema, it's a very specific time period of film. Um, and it's kind of a post-Guy Ritchie British cinema. Not quite Edgar Wright, not quite Danny Boyle, a sort of slightly lower rung of filmmakers that were making very criminally oriented movies about you know, hard lads, a couple of like, you know, going around beating up mugs, stuff like that. Uh, <laughs> uh, wearing polo shirts and Stone Island, as you mentioned. Um, and it's weird. It was like a really specific thing, but I think what makes it bloke exploitation is they're, they're really geared towards men, men, 
Yeah, yeah. Lads, yeah. And and they always had reviews from like Nuts or uh, Zoo magazine. If you remember them. Um, <laughs> oh yeah. You know, <laughs> like some of the best critical minds really put their opinions on the boxes of films like Football Factory, uh, The Business, and Outlaw, which are three examples of movies by the great auteur uh, of this movement, uh, Nick Love. Nicholas Love. <laughs> Nicholas Love. Um, <laughs> Nicholas Love. <laughs> Nic- Nicholas Amore. <laughs> and film D, Nicholas Amore. Yeah. yeah, it's like he's like French equivalent filmmaker. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's like, in my head, that's what it is. And I think like when we discussed it, it started opening up all these possibilities of like, well, well I'll save some of the gems for later, but there's, there's, it's, I think it's a movement, isn't it? You could argue. Mm. I, don't, I don't think many will. <laughs> so I've decided <laughs> to maybe die on this hill of being the, the guy that's going to defend or at least canonize uh, bloke exploitation cinema. <laughs> this could be this could be an MA, you guys. Is all I'm saying. Uh, do you know what? I genuinely <laughs> think it could be. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I think really think it could be because I think it was a brief but very powerful phenomenon that I I I think really gripped a certain generation and certain cluster of men for a few years. Um, yeah. And I just think it's such a good opportunity to really get into that why that is, and also sort of talk about some of the films that gave so many men like that are hard on really yeah. <laughs> for lack of a better term although although the, although the men that watched them would and who did get the hard ons would never admit that <laughs> no, no of course. they put they put a cushion like between their legs when they were like watching <laughs> yeah, on the sofa yeah, and it's like yeah. empty- can you get me a beer no <laughs> <laughs> they empty their half eaten pot noodle and just put the put the, the plastic <laughs> case around their erection yeah Half eaten Bombay bad boy. <laughs> We've got the sauce packet, of course. Yeah, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just yeah. burning that crotch. <laughs> <laughs> right, anyway, yeah. let's get to it. Questing the cinematic um, I think, Ben, you maybe had a bit more of a categorised definition for this. Uh, and I'd be interested as the, again, world's only preeminent scholar on bloke exploitation cinema <laughs> interested to see what you've come up with okay yeah so uh i think the criteria for a bloke exploitation film should be as follows right number one set in an urban or semi-urban area of the united kingdom number two contain a predominantly male ensemble cast whose goals are centered around financial gain and slash or the acquisition of credibility oh number f- yeah <laughs> number three <laughs> right not only fails the Bechdel test with flying colours, so that's like, uh, so that's like a measure of how uh, developed the representation of women in uh, in the film is. Uh, a female character has to speak to another female character about something other than a man at some point. But these films frequently, uh, there's like no instance of a female character talking to another female character at all. Yeah. So it's like Bechdel plus, right? Yeah. Um, and for number four, which you alluded to in the intro, Alfie, uh, the plot, visual and musical style has to be partially or shamelessly inspired by a Guy Ritchie or by extension, Martin Scorsese film. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. What do you think? What do you think of that criteria? <laughs> that is- I really like that. Yeah. I've got one movie that kind of, I think, like maybe is an exception to the rule, um, which we'll get to later because we can look at it on that criteria. But uh, Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I think not, not because of its great female characters. I just want to establish that up front. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I just also wanted to say that you're absolutely right about that. 
because you could maybe change that definition to say that there is a token female character in actually yeah, in these kind right. of movies yeah, yeah, yeah. because it's, yeah, yeah. It's vir- there's virtually no women in any of these movies um yeah 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 no that's great i love it i really nice. love those categories there's a, <laughs> those categories there's, a there's a there's another element there i think as well and i think we, we mentioned this before when we talked about fast and furious a couple of episodes ago and, yeah. I, and I think it's all the more sort of pertinent with these films, particularly, is that everyone you hated in school loved these films. Oh, yeah. Do you know? Oh, yeah. man. I think that's like the yeah, biggest. Yeah. And it was like, it's funny, I was talking to my friend Jan about it, and he said that he remembers being in a classroom and there were these kids he absolutely hated in, in his in his class. And they were talking about Football Factory and a scene in the film where a guy gets a Stanley knife out and he opens it and he goes, do you want to meet my friend Stanley? And they, <laughs> and they thought that was like fucking brilliant. Like the funniest yeah. joke, you know, and that's the sort of limit of their, you know, I mean, that's, that's it. I mean, not to yeah, sort of yeah. so bitter about the people in school that were sort of largely athletically superior to me, but, you know. <laughs> but, but like these movies glorify a certain kind of culture and, and obviously those, young men were kind of or boys were kind of adjacent to that yeah uh, I, I can distinctly remember like five kids sort of stood around basically saying about what ones they'd seen is like yeah i've seen green street yeah i've seen football factory and like <laughs> i've seen like you know just we like what are you on about mate like sh- yeah the shit, shit films. <laughs> you know, like, yeah i mean like looking back at them now it's even more clear that these are badly made movies but oh, um man, yeah we'll save that for when we're actually looking at an individual basis yeah Mm. Um, what do you think the sort of message is of films like these what what is it they're trying to convey because you mentioned this idea of uh, you know of aping scorsese for example who's working the gangster genre at least at face value somehow glamorizes it but only in a way that seeks to sort of um you know, reveal the darker aspects of a life of criminality. But what do you think in the in the in in the in the way in framing it alongside Scorsese, which is something I thought I'd never say uh, yeah. in regards to Football <laughs> Factory and stuff? You know, what do you think the message is in terms of the way they frame this way of life? Is it something to be to be infatuated with or terrified of? What is the sort of aim? Well, I think like in regards to your first point about the Scorsese thing, I mean, like they are like. So many of these movies ape and and if not lit- directly lift scenes from Scorsese films. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Uh, Factory in particular. Yeah, in particular, yeah, yeah. like yeah. even in its structure. And um, I mean, the thing for me is that like I know a lot of people talk about Scorsese's sort of like the way he maybe glamorizes a certain outlaw kind of life, which is very in keeping with his kind of you know the fact that he's American and that's like they love outlaws over there. Yeah. Um, maybe because it's close to home, the same process of kind of idolizing these awful characters just feels a lot less tasteful. I I do wonder if there's a satirical element because I think all three of the films I watched have an element of social commentary, but (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately it's not a commentary that I would agree with uh, in any instance. But I do think that there are elements of uh, of opinion. I I think they're all very right-wing. They're all really right-wing movies. And that like socially they stand for kind of quite terrible values mm. um at least i say terrible values that i don't personally align with they're, they're, i mean they're bigoted you know yeah. uh, uh and it's played for laughs uh, and one of the things that kind of bothers me the most about football factory for example is that that movie 
no, like doesn't attempt to critically engage with what it is they're saying in the movie. Like by the to the point that the the main character Tommy gets battered, uh, is in hospital, and the and the last film scene in the film is him returning to his friends and basically saying like, you know, this is this is my life, and you just kind of think like, is that is that a good message to kind of put out into the world that it's just like, hey, you'll just keep doing it until you, inevitably you die or go to jail, you know, <laughs> like yeah. It's, 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 there's a similar thing in Green Street as well at the end of Green oh. Street where it's just like oh Green Street I guess violence is the answer then and it's just like Elijah Wood like I've seen that his character it, there's there's a sort of an arc with him and him learning to stand up for himself but That's all right. it is is he he sort of squares up to a guy that like um fucked him over at uni and like almost punches him and, and then like gets him to back <laughs> down. And then you're, you're meant to think, oh yeah. So the way to sort of solve all your problems <laughs> just by going around and being like a thug. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the the, the green shoot is kind of like a, a reverse goodwill hunting. It's amazing. Like, <laughs> like, like a, a guy that like comes from a kind of like hard life, sort of like being given an opportunity to excel. Like in, it's the inversion where a university educated boy uh, drops out and decides to become yeah a hooligan. I think it's I think you're right about that. The idea of like it seems to be about almost um, recapturing that sort of uh, that that strength that that you know that masculine power as a mm. as a tool to navigate the world as a tool to push back against oppressive forces or as a tool mm. to sort of better your own existence and make your life better. You know. Um, yeah, and I think that's a really interesting thing to talk about, especially now when we seem to be having, uh, you know, a bit of a culture debate, if you will. I mean, you know, about the sort of merit of masculinity and how so many people, particularly young boys, are being swept up by this notion of like embracing a sort of more hardline, fiercely masculine approach as a way of navigating the world. Mm. And I find that really interesting in the context of these films because these films predate this sort of. This this debate, mm. you know, by a good decade or so, don't they? Um, yeah, 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 and I think that's really. I honestly, yeah, I I do. I think the appeal of these films is definitely centered around that sort of male stereotype of everything being really simple and simplified and like easy to work out, and so problems are like resolved by violence and violence alone. Uh, friendships and relationships sort of replace love and compassion with just like almost like a weird code of ethics particularly yeah. in Green Street um, and like, you know, being selfish and narcissistic is easy and therefore like encouraged. And, you know, yeah, the simplification sort of bleeds into the actual filmmaking itself. So they, they always appear quite like cobbled together and unfinished and like dod- there's a lot of dodgy handheld cinematography, yeah. ha- like half-baked, you know, or half-baked or over-baked acting. And uh, you'll like this one, Alfie, it's shambolically shite graphic design. Oh, like, yeah. 100%. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, so it's always that like graffiti or stencil graphic design style, you know, it's yeah. sort of, almost to sort of rebel against over overly complicated <laughs> fonts, you know. Yeah. We don't we do away with fonts. <laughs> it seems to use a lot of impact. Like, yeah. you know, the meme font, it seems yeah. to be like the go-to font on all of these films for some yeah, reason. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like Nick Love, and it's always written in impact for some reason. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Even on the posters. And so, it's, it's, yeah, it's weird. But it definitely mm. was like a, a movement. And, and I was talking about this earlier, um, trying to sort of like work out kind of when it ended and like, I sort of said something like, thankfully, you know, these aren't really mainstream anymore, but you're kind of right. It, it is mainstream again. And it's, and it's 
if anything, it's worse because it's like people on social media basically just going around saying the kind of things that ca- ca- excellent characters such as Tommy um, <laughs> <laughs> or Frankie. Go on, Frankie um, give it to him. Yeah, yeah, both 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 played by Danny Dyer there. Uh, who, by the way, is like the fucking Kirk Douglas of bloke exploitation cinema. You know, he's the, the 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 Melvin Van Peebles of of this movement. This, this insane. <laughs> he, he is he is the is the figurehead. He is. Yeah. The, the trifecta is, I guess, Nick Love, uh, Danny Dyer, Roger and. <laughs> Did Elijah Wood make Green Streets in order to kind of shed a bit of the kind of soft boy image he generated? I, I can't believe Lord of the Rings. I think you're right. Yeah. I can't believe he was in it. I remember like it was yeah. not that long after Lord of the Rings and the hype had started to recede. About two yeah, years. Yeah, yeah. It's just like yeah, yeah. I couldn't get out of my head him being a hobbit watching the film <laughs> you, know, yeah, like, you know you've yeah. just you've yeah. just gone from like talking about strawberries and cream with Samwise Gamgee to kicking the absolute <laughs> shit out of a Millwall fan in a piss-soaked alleyway do you know what I mean like I, I can't quite wrap my head around that transition just goes to show how magnificent this medium is that a guy could go uh, from playing yeah. a fucking hobbit to go around going yeah. I'm forever blowing bubbles you fucker hey. you know like, yeah. it's so weird <laughs> Do you yeah. think there's like you know because like uh, another thing is like we were talking about like the values of these movies and how none of them seem to really ever kind of challenge what they preach. I guess it's like mm. at the end there's no kind of like well you know there's no pathos in, yeah, in short, yeah. um, which makes Green Street in particular kind of look like a sort of really cheap knockoff of Fight Club, right down to like Charlie Hunnam being a kind of bootleg Brad Pitt and everything like that. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think this sort of idea of Elijah Wood's character is that he's like the closest thing to like a normal person. Do you know? And I think I think yeah. he's supposed yeah. to be the eyes into this world. And I think hmm. in a way that might have worked had he not so swiftly been become enamoured with a life of fucking base yeah. violence, yeah. you know? It would probably be better if he left that world thinking like, yeah, this isn't the right world for me. Yeah. Because like that's maybe where all of the Nick Love films fail is that they were just introduced to like a morally repugnant character and were expected to just kind of be like, okay, you know? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to root for this guy now. But like, you know, at least Green Street has the, the benefit of a kind of like, and every man yeah. in Elijah Wood. Yeah, every boy yeah. more like. I mean, I can't every boy. I can't even yeah. I mean, I'm not a fighter, as you well know, you know, but I would not be worried about bumping him into him in an alleyway. Like if I was wearing my if <laughs> no. I was wearing the Derby shirt and he walked towards me in a forest shirt and started having a go at me, I probably the few times of my life I'd feel sort of confident, confident about it ending. <laughs> about yeah, yeah, like Yeah, honestly, Elijah Wood, his face, it looks he just looks like if he looked at the London Underground tube map, he'd have a panic attack. <laughs> you know what I mean, he doesn't look even remotely chiselled or anything. No, or, he doesn't. Or, yeah, he's got he's got such delicate features, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's why he's Frodo for crying out loud. Like, exactly. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. And, yeah. And on the flip side, he can play creepy really well. You know, yes, because of the, for the same reason, but he, he can't play menacing. He can't play no. tough. You know, by the of that, I love the idea that he like can't go for a fight because he had like instead of having his usual happy meal he had like a large mcdonald's meal it made him sick <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a pale in the background but... <laughs> oh, i regret the large milkshake <laughs> i don't know why it's northern <laughs> <laughs> oh. 
um, yeah, no, I mean that's really funny. So you watched you watched Green Street then, uh, Ben, didn't you? Um, I did. Yes, uh, watched it for the first time actually. Oh wow! Uh, it was quite an experience. Yeah, yeah. Um, some things, the bit where he um, sort of pronounces Manchester, so he's American, and it's like the voiceover is just unintentionally hilarious. Oh yeah, he's showing me that. Yeah, yeah. I had to send you guys a video of like a. He goes like, "Oh yeah, we will never forget that day down in Manchester." <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh no! And it's um, like in you'd be like, "Yeah, we we battered them slags in Manchester." Yeah. You know? <laughs> Just like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. That next scene, you know, <laughs> sort of like preppy Harvard boy saying it. Um, so, so, so mm. by your categorization of bloke exploitation cinema, does Green Street fit? Uh, I think, yeah, so urban setting in London, uh, predominantly male ensemble cast. I think you could hardly argue like Charlie Hunnam and Rafe Spool and oh, like, yeah. I can't remember some of the other heavy hitters, but yeah, he's, he makes it in there. Um, uh, they're, they're not, they're, they're go- I don't really know what their goal is ultimately, cause there's not a lot of football in it. Uh, even no. though it's about football hooliganism, there's like one footy match and that, that's sort of it. They're just... They're fighting for credibility, though, I think, or like honor, I guess, ultimately, <laughs> uh, in, in whatever way. Uh, there's one female character in it, and she doesn't speak to any other women, um, and she does feel like a token female character. Yeah, I think this one might not be as inspired by Guy Ritchie, and it might kind of, that might, it might fail on that hurdle ever so slightly. Um, what do you think? I agree, yeah. I, I think it almost. It almost exists, and I don't know if it is the case because I, I don't know quite when the production if they overlap or anything. But Green Street almost feels like a Hollywood remake of Football Factory. Oh uh, like, yeah, I would agree. In the that. sense that, like, mm. it's it's got a little bit more sheen, it's got a bit more budget. Yeah, mm. like Football Factory, I think was a bit of a sleeper hit. Yeah, a low budget kind of in British indie film. Mm. Uh, that that made you know kind of like it was a probably a like a big hit on DVD. Yeah. Um, and it and Green Street almost is like like yeah, it's a more palatable, slightly more accessible version of it. Still, absolutely repugnant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Weirdly enough, directed by a woman. Um, yes, uh, Academy Award nominated, no less. Yeah, is it Lexi Alexander? That's right. Yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, wow. huh. Also directed Punisher Warzone, which uh, yeah. I guess you could argue is is bloke exploitation adjacent as well as a movie. Yeah, um, yeah. But on a broader sense. Um, yeah, agreed. Yeah. No, yeah, I I agree. I think it I I think it definitely is a bloke's rotation film. Um, yeah, I will give it to Green Street. It's sort of small bundle of honor, I guess, for being at least competently made. Like it's still rough and handheld, but there's a kind of a polish to it in a weird sort of way. Like it's not like Football Factory, which is lurid and inconsistent. Like they clearly spent some time editing it in part and like kind of grading it and giving yeah. it a kind of a bit of a kind of dirty urban look so fair enough i guess to it for that it sort of feels like it was intentionally yeah trying something i suppose (laughs) i agree yeah 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 i i I think i think it's it's, it just feels a little bit more polished um Mm. not not sure specific i mean I i feel like it's a universal film okay at least it was in the uk i mean it's got multiple titles (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah. Green Street hooligans. Yeah. Or, or and in some markets just hooligans. 
Um, <laughs> so they were just like, what's Green Street? Like, you know, I don't even think Green Street is particularly well known as like a term relating to to West Ham. Uh, like, like the, you would know, you know, it's a weird one. But anyway, yeah, no, Green, Green Street is a bad movie. It is. Terrible. I think it's also responsible for, like, I, I, obviously I know, like, football fans are a pretty bad rap anyway, but I think a lot of the uh, way that products that are advertised through football or were advertised for a long time, particularly alcohol, mm. were almost shot in a way that was reminiscent of exploitation films. That's true. And it just make, it makes me think, like, when I meet people that really don't like football and they don't like it for that reason, I can sort of completely see why. Because for, for a while... That sort of bloke exploitation, that advertising. Oh, have a fucking lager. Your missus is boring. Have a beer. You know all mm. that sort of thing. Like it was all, it, you know, all sort of tied together into this big fucking mass. And I think yeah. for a while it, it it almost seemed impossible to imagine football without that. Yeah. Well, certainly English football without that sort of without Charlie Hunman and Elijah Wood and Ray Spall, who I completely forgot was in the yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and has thankfully moved on to, I mean, all of them, but like, you know, they've all moved on to considerably better things uh, as actors. Uh, the same cannot be said for the uh, cast of Football Factory with a few exceptions, because uh, they're it's weirdly stacked. It's got like Danny Dyer, who, you know, is just a living meme at this point. Um <laughs> Like a bunch, like Tamar Hassan, who's kind of like a weird sort of established British character actor that kind of turns up and stuff. Loves, seems to love playing gangsters, and weirdly Neil Maskell, who's in like Kill List, which is he's is an amazing film, and he's yeah. so, he's so good in that movie that I'm like I'm watching Football Factory, I'm like, why the fuck is he in this? Like, <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's actually it's funny that. Yeah. It's funny that Danny Dyer is in now in EastEnders because I just feel like Football Factory is basically just a violent episode of EastEnders stretched <laughs> over an is. hour and a half. It is. Yeah. It is. It kind of aims for social realism, a la, you know, uh, well Ken Loach to a degree, but like maybe more so, more likely Shane Meadows. But it 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 typically just only reaches the heights of a bad episode of EastEnders, you know. Yeah, yeah. The subplot when Ian Bill joined a football firm, you know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I would pay to see that. I would too. Would yeah, yeah. I, I 100% would. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not good. Football Factory, I think, is probably the worst offender. Yeah. Um, Just in how ubiquitous that movie was for a while, which mm. makes it more annoying. Um, yeah. But like, it literally, we were talking about it aping Scorsese. There's a scene quite early on in the Football Factory when they're in the pub, and one yeah. of them like, there's this horrible character. I can't remember his name. Um, Not Joe Pesci. It's sort of like a, a geezer version of him, isn't he? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he, he kind of goes like, like this guy says something. He's like, "What about you, mate?" And he goes like, "You fuck him up. You trying to mug me off?" And it goes on for about three minutes of him going like, "Mugging me off in front of my pals," and it's just like endless and 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 it's so obviously going to be like the you think i'm funny like a clown joe pesci scene from goodfellas you know yeah. it's just like oh, i had you then didn't i you you fucking bell end or whatever he says you know? it's just like, it's so, sorry i'm just I'm, I'm i've been influenced by his films i'm swearing an awful lot um off putting your your audience but um no i used to wear uh Tirades, vulgar tirades. tirades yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is anything. This is tame for you. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, and it's just—it's literally—it's the same fucking scene without any of the tension. And you just think, like, why is it? Like, he's like the guy's like forty, a big fat forty-year-old yeah. guy, just going like to calling like a twenty-year-old a, a muppet or something. And it's just like, why? 
would anyone why would they hang out with him at this point yeah yeah <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense um i think it I think it really speaks to that fantasy element, which I think is so appealing to these films about, again, about men breaking out from the confines of like a mediocre existence. Yeah. And I think it's particularly true. I remember we talked in our Canon Films episode about um, when we talked about Death Wish and the idea, the, the appeal of Death Wish being like appealing to a generation of men who are powerless and also feel like their way of life and their identity is under siege or under threat. And these films, the popularity of these films is them living this fantasy of fighting back. Yeah. And I think in particular of that scene where you're talking about that guy going, fucking hell, come on then. Yeah. Uh, which, which, uh, which I've never thought in the context of Joe Pesci Goodfellas, but it completely makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, you know, it's 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 that fantasy. It's living through that, like, that vicarious living through and liberating yourself for an hour and a half of mm, all yeah. these things that you think are sort of out to get you and sort of fighting back yeah, and yeah, actually yeah. having to get off your sofa. I know. There's a lot of scenes in all of these films uh, where like, like where Danny Dyer narrating, presumably on behalf of Nick Love's own subconscious or, or, or not even that, but like, you know, Nick Love's deranged ramblings says stuff like, you know, like they're, they're worried about what the influence we're putting on kids when they're out nonsense at night. And it's like, what are you on about? Like, just like weird tangential kind of like rambling. Yeah. Paranoid ramblings. About like, they always go, they always go there, don't they? Like that's yeah. the way they justify it. Yeah. They've got to go to like, they've got to go to nonsense. They've got to go, you've got to use like, you know, paedophilia as like yeah. a way to justify violence. Yeah. Like, violence is fine because there yeah, is. Because of, yeah. 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 It is like that. I mean, and, and the thing is the violence, is despicable and there's scenes like there's a scene that you could argue is quite funny because it almost it almost occasionally seems to have a bit of social commentary like i've said before where there's a scene where the horrible fat bloke um the non-joe pesci of the film whose name i escapes me um is kind of tezzer probably probably yeah, like, yeah, yeah. tezzer or like you know tezzer like, four fingers or something yeah yeah baz or something, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lerman. Um, baz Lerman, yeah yeah uh, <laughs> and is uh is it a, is it a as like presumably a son's football game and uh across the other side of the pitch is tamar hassan who is you know he's millwall he's the millwall guy and they're all bloody not they're not fucking millwall you mug kind of thing and like <laughs> and they're, like, having, they're heckling each other across the this kid's football match and they, and they actually fight in the middle of the kid's football match which is just so stupid and it almost feels like it could be like a joke like they're like like the kids are there like oh this this is embarrassing but it, it's so close to being a comedy but yeah it's like no, Nick Love no. believes it like or something yeah like, yeah, yeah. You know. do you think that and this is my this is a bit of a stretch away but do you do you know like the way like Commando like I think for a lot of men in like the eighties, like Commando was like, yeah, 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 hard body Reagan era, yeah. sort of, Red know. Dawn's another one as well. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, but like I think upon the sort of reflection of that film, you, you know that film is just absolutely rife with homoerotic subtext. Yeah, and it's funny as, as well. And, and yeah, yeah, and it is knowingly funny. Like obviously the intro with him like feeding the deer, and obviously Bennett wearing that you know yeah. the, the mesh vest you know <laughs> the chief antagonist of the film and the mustache like yeah and it's almost like there's this you know working within the confines of the genre at the time and fooling duping everyone to thinking that it is achieving these aims of like 
championing this certain yeah. image that wants to be championed, but then years later, it being clearly obvious. And yeah. I wonder if, like, in 20 or 30 years' time, I very much doubt it in the case of Football Factory and Green Street, but I wonder if people are going to be doing the same thing and there's something we've missed when we watch these <laughs> films. Like, maybe maybe Football Factory has a Bennett and we just haven't seen it yet, you know? Yeah, like, yeah maybe. I yeah. mean, I did, I did attempt to rewatch this movie with that, because last time I saw this film, I was probably twelve or something. You know? <laughs> and like my mates at school were like, "It's well good," and I was just there, like, "Yeah, I love it." Like you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> I just go home and like watch Beetlejuice instead. Like, you know, like, yeah, yeah. Um, just try like, but um, I really tried to watch it with a critical eye and like think like is and and uh, that's what I mean. It feels like at points it is mocking itself, and then it kind of just it doesn't give you the kind of doesn't pull the rug out from under you. It never satisfyingly says, "Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. we are being tongue in cheek." It just it it too frequently rewards its characters for being monsters, and that is across the board, like in every Nick yeah. Love film as well. Yeah. That is actually true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Maybe there is there, maybe there is no Bennett. <laughs> yeah, no. There Unfortunately, is a, there is a bit in it where Danny Dyer and his mate pull on a night out and go and have sex with these, well, try and have sex with these two girls, and both. Uh, there's a shot of both of them and both the doors are open. So that's why there's someone in that. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. In terms of like, yeah, kind of homoerotic contact. It's probably just a framing device, to be honest. But like yeah, um, that, that yeah. scene is just like, that scene is almost like that one guy, you know, who's sort of a serial liar and every anecdote he's got is at very least sort of semi-embellished with like complete bollocks. It mm. that, that scene and like what happens afterwards is just like, because they wait, they wake <laughs> up and and they're getting threatened by one of the girls' brothers or something. That's and right. Yeah. You just think like this sounds like someone you know when you're sort of eighteen in sixth form and someone comes up to you, so like, I've got a story for you. <laughs> yeah, it sounds yeah, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, they are, the movies are emotionally stunted, um, and I think that's why they're funny to watch now because it's like there is almost a sort of like a kind of there is a humor that comes from the movies but i do not think it's intentional i i i well if it is then nick love is a fucking genius basically because like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. he's the greatest satirical mind of of the late blair era britain <laughs> but, um, which is another thing that they kind of frequently reference in the movie as they talk about blair there's a, a particularly disgusting scene in football factory where a taxi driver basically just like lists off a bunch of really awful racist talking points oh, yeah. um, uh, to like two old geezers in the back of the car. Uh, and it's all about like, it's literally like modern day Tory party manifesto, like um, asylum seekers and, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, like, you know, our old veterans and all this kind of stuff. And, and even the old guys, they do get out of the car and they kind of go, what a wanker. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah, they do. But if you watch this, if you look at the YouTube comments of that scene, it's mostly people saying, I actually agree with the taxi driver. And it's like, oh, <laughs> man. <laughs> Didn't even achieve that. The one time Nick tries to claw back some sort of yeah. social credentials, the people just ignore it. <laughs> the people agree with it because he's amplifying yeah. arguably the worst possible. Like, oh my god yeah. yeah and there's a bit as well in the narration where he goes cabby's got might have a point you like, oh jesus christ like go. no yeah. yeah like oh i remember that really vividly i'd be like oh that's no so this is just actually openly racist now yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is an awful ex- an extended oh. scene of that and uh yeah the business is isn't much better but uh i mean it feels like a parody like 
you know, the kind of films that we would have made at uni when we went and made an action film. Like, right, yeah. Died running around in like a Lacoste tracksuit yeah, and it's supposedly an 80s setting. It's like, it's like, it's like they had no money, but they wanted to make, they wanted to remake GTA Vice City. It's, <laughs> it's just, yeah, it's got all of these 80s bangers on the soundtrack. They're all wearing like, yeah, like I say, like 80s tracksuits. Uh, and for some reason, all the neon lighting just doesn't come through and it looks like an episode of Benadorm, basically. It's amazing. <laughs> but it opens oh, up God. with him, like, like it does the classic, you know, in media res, we we start at the end uh, and then we wonder, how did Danny Dyer's character, Frankie, get into this situation? Um, <laughs> six months earlier, you know, he's on a council estate in Thatcher's Britain uh, and he's literally watching Ooh. Thatcher on the telly, uh, like to just really put forward the point, like, you know, there yeah. was nothing in the 80s. He like, <laughs> he turns off the telly, he sat with his mates, like outside smoking a cigarette, quite a nice shot. He looks up in the sky, a plane flies overhead, and the jet trail forms into the words, and I'm not joking, mm-hmm. <laughs> forms into the words, be somebody. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> in case you didn't get it, <laughs> Danny Dyer, five seconds later, says, I'm going to be somebody. <laughs> <laughs> By which he means he beats up his stepdad uh, and as and is flown out to Costa del Sol to work as a drug runner. Um, so, yeah, amazing. I mean, that's really what happens, isn't it? When you're going to be someone. Yeah, you're going to be someone. Just going to be a, a, a middling criminal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> stepdad. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I've seen, I've saw, I saw it in the sky. I can't, I can't not. I have to. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. It's, it's, if it, the clouds formed and told me to go, you know, to be on my stepdad. Um, it gets, oh, it gets to the club. And again, it's Tamar Hassan. Uh, <laughs> An absolute mainstay. <laughs> he comes into the club and he's, and Tamar Hassan's just at the bar, smart, like grinning. Like, and, and he comes around the corner and, and I can't remember the song, but it's like, it's another like proper Vice City tune playing one of the kind of slightly gay 80s ballads. <laughs> and the way he looks at him, like he looks all kind of like, oh, he's there. And Tamar Hassan is like grinning and you're like, it, again, it's really horrible, right? <laughs> it turns out Tamar Hassan is, uh, is receiving head. <laughs> and- oh man, just, I, I was going to try, I was thinking about making that joke. You know, it, it's just what's happening. It's just what's happening. And he goes like, oh, get out of here. Like to the lady again, you know, this is the level of female representation in Nick Love's films. I thought you were going to say it was Danny Dyer doing it then for a second. I mean, it, like it's, it's so weird, but like that he's, that, that's just happening. Yeah, it's so bizarre. It's really, and his the, the look on his face is just like a really kind of pleased with himself grin. It's really funny. It's just like, oh, but anyway, man. by criteria, this movie is not set in a British urban environment. Oh yeah, okay. However, it was directed by Nick Love. Does yep. have Danny Dyer in it, uh, and it is about a man trying to be somebody, which is <laughs> about as literal as uh, it could be. Yeah. Um, it also has the exact same ending as Football Factory uh, in that it's like a kind of freeze frame of everyone with the text, a kind of funny caption about what happens to everyone. Okay. Um, oh, man. I'm adding this to my watch list. Yeah. yeah you've got to try <laughs> That's incredible. But, but then you could argue that there's this something to be said for like this sort of, it's almost like a new form of Britain's cultural colonialism that like, <laughs> like Danny Dyer just going over to Europe and just fucking just making it look shit. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it is. I mean, we already ruined Spain once. We didn't need to do it again. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's like a beautiful country and just going, nah, this needs a few more lads but, and slags. 
but but much like how Green Street is a kind of is both an inverted uh, Goodwill Hunting and Fight Club, or shit remake of Fight Club without subtlety, the business is like Sexy Beast, but without any of the things that make Sexy Beast a good movie. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Right down to the poster, actually. The posters are really similar. They yeah, they are. The swimming pool, don't they? And like That's someone right. relaxing next to a swimming oh, pool. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And one of the probably one of the worst portrayals of of a, a woman uh, in any of these movies in the in the love interest, uh, if that if if it can be if she can be called that. Um, <laughs> Wasn't the woman is, sucking off Tamer Hassan? Oh no, she's just a different woman. Oh. That never comes back. <laughs> there's one bit where there's like a a gaggle of kind of middle aged ladies in the nightclub, and as Danny Dyer walks past, <laughs> by the way, Danny Dyer walks really weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not seeing how he's got such a weird walk. He's really uncertain when he walks. It's really funny, but um, <laughs> I've seen too. I've seen too many films of his recently. I've gone insane, and like, <laughs> yeah, the way Nick, the way Danny Dyer walks, really, really makes me laugh. And I keep imagining that it's like a, a direction from Nick Love. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to walk more like him. But anyway, he's walking through the club with his weird walk, and. Um, this lady just grabs his arm and says, I'll give you a thousand pounds if you fuck me. <laughs> <laughs> and, and he just kind of goes like, he just goes like, you think that's bad? Like, you guess what? Guess what we found out next or something. And it's just like, oh. so, you know, some, some weird inconsequential bullshit happens, but it's such a weird film, man. It's like, it's such a mess and it, and it's just so badly made. But it's got yeah. like he he rips off like the Scorsese, you know, the Edgar Wright quick transitions of like, like yeah, really yeah. tiny cuts of of stuff. He does that a few times in it. It's like he's you know he learned that between making Football Factory and the business and just oh, went right. overboard with it. But um, yeah, so yeah, there's definitely like a a, a sort of attempt at homage, but doing it so ham fistedly <laughs> that it just becomes uh, complete farce yeah un- unintentional farce yeah i haven't actually seen the business but i kind of weirdly want to see it now it, it um, has an unintentionally hilarious okay. quality to it in the same way at football factory i think i i think you could argue it's less reprehensible than football factory uh, that's not saying yeah. much mm. it's just <laughs> yeah it, it, it it's maybe just i don't know something about football factory is just so distasteful isn't it but like mm. uh this one's a, a little bit like a little bit less kind of a little bit less disgusting i guess yeah yeah and that's oh. for a movie that where one of the early scenes of the movie is uh tamar hassan being noshed off in a nightclub so. <laughs> <laughs> oh. i really i was watching i was just like like i say i didn't really finish any of these i just that, i got to that scene and i was like right, i'm just gonna skip ahead for 10 minutes and like, <laughs> I know right. if you did that it was still him <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, let's make some budget cuts <laughs> we had to extend the oral sex sequence yeah, yeah. <laughs> nick love hotels to the uh demands of his producers once again yeah <laughs> one weird thing is that i didn't mention about football factory is that it was produced by rockstar games oh um, god yeah oh man that's disappointing yeah it was their first foray into to film um they, there's one scene where i think they are playing vice city um, <laughs> right okay uh, that's, that's disappointing it is disappointing i always kind of think you could see more satirical value in a, in a rockstar game and presumably they saw something in football factory i guess i don't know do you know what though like i mean i think the relationship 
that people have, the vast majority of people have to the output of Nick Love is very similar to the relationship that people, the output of the people that people have, sorry, with the output of Rockstar Games in the sense, I don't think the satire or a lot of the sort of like cultural touchstones in terms of the aesthetic of the films or the sort of narrative arcs in the games. I don't think a lot of those are noticed. I think people are just enveloping themselves in the fantasy of being a gangster or the fantasy Mm. of kicking the shit out of someone in a piss soaked alleyway, you know, like, yeah, I think, and, and that's something in a way that thinking about it in that way, like it kind of suits rockstar in a way, because as yeah. much as I have, you know, a lot of time in my sort of heart for classic GTA, I can't help but shake that. I think they're losing their touch a little bit. And I wonder if it's because of stuff like that. Um, maybe mm. yeah yeah I, I think that association is bad and and i think that um that you're absolutely right that like the audience doesn't necessarily pick up on the the nuance and maybe maybe the script was better i don't know i mean football factory is based on a book written by a kind of like a quite a well-known kind of not necessarily satirical but a kind of deep cultural writer about britain he writes a lot about working class culture and stuff and and the fact that Football Factory of all films is based on a book is kind of mental to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> because like they presumably they yeah. just picked up the book and just crossed out all the scenes where they like critically engaged with what they were doing and just like oh, add it, put in a few more you know swear words and a couple more scenes where. Uh, Tamar Hassan gets noshed off in a nightclub. <laughs> <laughs> Tell him that wasn't in the book. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I smell a Pulitzer Prize. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I think Rockstar Games, a lot of people don't get the sort of satirical nature of it, primarily because of the way it was, um, the way the media jumps on it. For being, you know, obviously, you know, they've they've got a they've got an age rating, but you get like twelve year olds playing it and stuff, and and it's considered, you know, it's in the same vein as like Hitman or something, and like people think that it's influencing people in a bad way, and they don't see, you know, they don't see that side to them, and I think maybe it doesn't help that they produced the Football Factory, but again, maybe they did see a kind of. A, a sort of semblance of satire in the screenplay and then Nick Love just kind of uh, strip, stripped that away. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, it, it, there are elements of it being, like I say, critical. And mm. maybe I think those elements of criticism probably only come from the fact that he obviously loves Martin Scorsese. Yeah, and Martin Scorsese's movies, if they if there are one thing, is deeply Catholic. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, and he and he does believe that we will all atone at some point for our sins. Um, Nick Nick Love, I don't think got that far into the Last Temptation of Christ because uh, <laughs> maybe we can expect his his take on on Last Temptation of Christ because we've got Football Factory, which is his version of Goodfellas, mm. uh, the business, which I guess if if Football Factory is Goodfellas makes the business his casino, you know, basically yeah. okay. a kind of a remake or at least a retreading of similar subject matter, which makes Outlaw Ooh. his taxi driver. <laughs> his own admission um, on the DVD commentary of Danny Dyer, which is the best fucking thing in the world. Like, <laughs> if, if, you, if you had any doubt that Nick Love was not an insane maniac that obviously just lives off of cocaine and really believes in all of the values that he puts in his films. Listen to the commentary because it's amazing. Oh man. He basically just bemoans the critics for kind of calling the movie right wing 
when he basically says like, what country are you living in? You know, and then like talks about new labor, uh, to which Danny Dyer replies, slags. Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. And then sort of says about how Taxi Driver had bad reviews when it first came out and that in years to come, when they make retrospectives on Danny Dyer's career, Law <laughs> oh, will be looked at as a kind of, as a masterpiece. Um, wow. And watching it now, I mean, this is basically the movie that the, the Daily Mail makes Britain look like. You know, when you, if you were to open the Daily Mail, that is what Outlaw looks like basically right yeah uh the movie opens with danny dyer getting uh on the way to his wedding uh with his wife <laughs> the first line of the movie is we're getting married in an hour <laughs> he just, <laughs> really? he just he, and then he gets in the car with his bride-to-be and they presumably just drive to their wedding but like by all accounts you kind of don't see the bride until you get married so Fuck knows what that's that, all that's, about. That's bizarre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Give it to Nick Love to break tradition. I know. Well, that's it. You know, maybe maybe it's a, a warning to Danny Dyer's character. Bad uh, luck. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're setting. You failed. You know, you didn't follow the rules, and now no. you pay. Uh, <laughs> it gets battered uh, by, of course, uh, a gang of horrible, like even more repugnant versions of characters from previous Nick Love films that pull up beside him and basically say, is that your wife? Is that, are, you, are you marrying her? Like, <laughs> they see a man and a woman dressed in like a, a suit and a dress in a car and assume that they're on their way to get married <laughs> and aren't already married because this is Nick Love's world, you know, and yeah, we all just yeah. live in it. Uh, oh, and amazing. Danny Dyer says, yeah. Uh, and they say, do you mind if we smash your back doors in before you do? <laughs> Jesus Christ. I know, oh, I know it's really bad. And, and at this point, we realise there's something different about this version of Danny Dyer. He's a coward. He doesn't say anything, and his wife-to-be speak, his wife to be speaks up, and uh, he drives away very quickly, and he said, you shouldn't have said anything. And she says, you should have. Anyway, mm. they get followed, cornered, uh, and he gets out of the car in order to try and reason with them because obviously they just want to talk. Yeah, uh, yeah. And they batter him, <laughs> of course. At which point we cut to him instantly covered in blood with a gun walking into the pub to find the guy. Uh, he goes up to him and he's uh, the guy turns around from a fruit machine because, of course, he's at a fruit machine. <laughs> uh, and he puts the gun to his head and he says, yeah, go on, do it. Danny Dyer doesn't. Um, so he takes the gun and shoots Danny Dyer, at which point we find out it's a dream. Uh, it's a dream. It's like, all a dream? So did Danny Dyer get beaten up twice yeah. in a dream? I don't know. I genuinely <laughs> don't know, because the editing is so mystifying. <laughs> don't know. It, just, it just cuts to him at a bar being sucked off by Tame Hazard. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Of course he does. I actually don't think he's in this one, and maybe that's why it doesn't work for me. That's it. Yeah, but yeah. It, but it's it's a shaky cam nightmare. It really oh is. Oh my god! Yeah, Football Factory was as well. Was it shot yeah. digitally? I, it looks it. You know, yeah, it, it does. But it's a weird one. This it's like a kind of ensemble piece. It's got we've got Sean Bean plays like a, a veteran returning home to his once great island uh, <laughs> and disgusted by what he's seen. Uh, Danny Dyer is a kind of just a meek guy that basically becomes a maniac. Mm. Uh, Lenny James, the, who is another great British actor, plays like a, a crown prosecution service, you know, like basically someone who prosecutes people that is pushed too far. 
uh, and so and so they all just team up. They team up because of Sean Harris. Oh my god! Um, the amazing Sean Harris. Yeah. Uh, who who is method and presumably just followed Nick Love around for a few weeks in order to <laughs> get the character. Uh, and um, yeah, he follows him around for a few weeks uh, and and plays a security guard. Uh, very jingoistic that basically inspires them all to become outlaws where they go around, you know, killing nonces and stuff. And it's, um, <laughs> it is basically, yeah, his taxi driver or his death wish or something. It's a weird, it sounds just like death wish. It, it's very much death wish. Yeah. Cause there's a couple of characters in later death wish sequels. You've got, uh, the, the blonde woman, I think in death wish three, who, yeah, that's right. who, who ends up being yeah. love interest. Oh, Cause of course. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Again, again, that sort of fucking like old white man fantasy stuff. But what yeah. producer was what, like making the death wish films were thinking like, you know, like the fans need a love interest. Like, you know, they want, yeah, they, yeah, want Paul yeah. Cur- they want Paul Kersey to fall in love. No, they don't. No, they, they want don't. to see Paul Kersey's <laughs> climax face. <laughs> no, one, no one wants to see that. No the idea is, is like she she represents the justice system, the failing justice system, of and course. instead of sort of like reflecting internally on the justice system's failings to properly um, rehabilitate the incarcerated masses, the only way really to solve the problem is gunishment. So. In that way, it seems bizarrely fitting that you, the comparison should be drawn between that and Death Wish, and that you've got Lenny James again. That is sad that he's in it. I know uh, Sean like, Harris, Sean, Sean Harris, Bob Hoskins. I mean, like he and Rupert Friend. I mean, he got some fucking big, like acclaimed British actors in this. It, it's insane. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. That there's some heavy hitters, man. Again, yeah. I mean, it, maybe he writes fucking beautiful scripts or something. Yeah, like, yeah. Just, Slips a fiver in there. Yeah, in the commentary, he uh, he he talks again. He's basically just moaning about film critics. Uh, and I beg you guys, if you don't watch Outlaws, just watch the commentary because <laughs> it is a work of art. Um, he talks. He criticizes Mr. Bean's Holiday. Uh, really, <laughs> ages. And and he basically says like it made six million, pulled in six million that film, and we and we and you know our one flopped kind of thing oh god and he died goes six million god we're in the wrong game mate <laughs> like <laughs> it's the same industry daddy died yeah, yeah it's yeah. the same industry and and like are they gonna did were they planning a mr bean style film starring danny dyer because yeah. i'd have watched that i, I absolutely would have watched that but anyway those are the free nick love films that i sort of put myself through in order to kind of help define this unique period of British cinema. Um, and I I think I have brain damage now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're glad you did it. And it's so good to sort of finally realise this, yeah. uh, this, this topic because it is absolutely fascinating. It's like a good way to get back at all of the frustration that we obviously collectively share about the genre. You know? Yeah, yeah. I love the idea. The funny thing is, if either of these blokes who are involved in this film challenged us, we'd just run off. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah 100%. completely. Yeah, 100%. Because we, we didn't get the message from the films that we should stand our ground and fight. Yeah. yeah, like, yeah absolutely yeah. not. I'm going to hide behind these bins. <laughs> the thing is, that's what most people, and Danny Dyer would hide behind a bin. We all know it. Yeah. He's not, he's not, he's just an actor. He's, he just goes around calling people slags. And, and I mean, he went to public school. He's not. Like, yeah. You know, man. Like, let's be real about Danny Dyer for a second. He's, he's a, a man who's made his own myth and he's done a good job at it. And Nick Love plays a big part in that. But they make movies that are just so reprehensible. Do you, do you think that, 
when do you think it died? I, I kind of think it died with arguably Outlaw, but maybe his next film, The Firm, which I just, I can't even find, let alone want to watch. But um, has, has anyone claimed the crown for bloke exploitation? I think it will become back. I think it's all, Joe, I was thinking about the idea of it dying. I think it died from popular culture, but I think it's just kept going. Yeah. Like, yeah. Underneath. I think it's definitely got like a really core audience of men who like can't sleep. They've had too many Frey Bentos pies or something. <laughs> <laughs> they just stick yeah. it on and they're like, oh, and the, the, you know, the wife bangs on the floor, like turn it down. So, yeah, no, it's Nick Lowe. Yeah. Um, I wonder if, like, I, I wonder genuinely if it will come back because it seems mm. to me that the climate, un- unfortunately, is perfect for it. Yeah. I mean, you have occasional films that stray into which territory. You have, like, you remember, I actually didn't mind the film too much, but do you remember that film Legend, that Tom Hardy film? Oh, yeah. yeah. So that kind of, you know, it's about the Cray twins, but it has elements of that. Yeah. Um, That's very yeah. true. Yeah. I think I don't think there's been a full blown one for a good while, or if there has, it just didn't get a cinematic release. It's probably in like a bargain bin somewhere. A lot of these films get sequels as well. Like Green Street has some sequels. We yeah, that's right. And um, uh, what was the film? I don't know why it's so difficult to remember the name of this one. Uh, oh, Rise of the Foot Soldier has like three sequels. Yeah, one of them like came out this year. So yeah. it's, it's it's still going like it's simmering, isn't it? I think you're inter- that's an interesting point that you make as well about the idea that it's um it's sort of bleeding through into more mainstream films or culture. I'd even argue like Peaky Blinders has got a little bit of it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. And I think Peaky Blinders is something that I mean it, it became the kind of modern equivalent of you know the Facebook post shared by like some kind of like like oh, you know God, yeah. your dad's mate kind of yeah. thing you know? <laughs> yeah. there would be a picture of uh killian murphy in character and it would say something like you know i'm a nice guy until you you insult my dog or something like that you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's weird isn't it like it's weird like and obviously there must have been there must have been something there for people to feel like thomas shelby i i imagine i don't know killian murphy but i imagine he'd be pretty uncomfortable about the whole thing oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. but like the idea that there must be a reason why a generation of frustrated men or multiple generations of frustrated men saw something in him enough to like to like yeah. use him as like the sort of poster boy for this sort of like um, you know, masculinity Definitely. striking back, their yeah, version yeah. of masculinity striking back. Killian Murphy, he he is uncomfortable with it. There's an interview with him where he talks about the haircut and how popular the haircuts become. And he he's like, people forget the reason that haircut existed was because of lice. Yeah. Like yeah. <laughs> it's not it wasn't a fashion statement. It was a practical decision to get rid of head lice. <laughs> and now everyone's going around with the Peaky Blinders haircut and like he just he uh, he's really baffled by it actually. When I was looking at wedding suits, um one of the suits was called the Shelby, which obviously is uh, Oh yeah, yeah. And I just I, I it was a nice suit, but I was like I'm not I'm not even going to look at it because like I don't want to end uh, what suit, what, suit, what suit did you get married in? Yeah, I got married in the uh, official Peaky Blinders suit. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. merchandise suit. Um, I kept some razors under my hat just in case. You know. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's the other thing. Like, I bet when they started shooting Peaky Blinders and they shot the first fight scene with them like hitting each other with hats, they were like, this looks shit. You know, yeah, we fucked yeah. up here. We should have done something cooler than, than, <laughs> than flat caps with blades in them. 
because it just doesn't look good. They're all like sliding around with their hats. Like it's like, come on, mate. White stripe yeah. song in the back. Royal blood song in the background. <laughs> you know, like, so weird. Yeah, turn it off. Um, no, to be honest, I, I just didn't finish it. <laughs> I didn't finish it. But I think that's a really good point. I think you're right. I think it, it transferred into Peaky Blinders. Uh, Guy Ritchie still kind of keeps it alive, doesn't he? He returns to... Yeah, the gentleman, um, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, and that uh, Jason Statham, Wrath of Man or something, that like, came out that's recently. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, he's straying back into that territory. I wanted to talk quickly, guys, if I may, mm, about uh, a film I actually absolutely love, uh, which is kind of exploitation esque but has a bit more to it, right? So Layer Cake, right? Okay. I love Layer Cake. I think Daniel Craig's character is like massively irritated by the sort of lowbrow nature of the criminals he's got to deal with, right? So, And these characters are essentially just characters from any other exploitation film. Yeah, Daniel Craig in that film constructs his personality to be like cool, calm, calculated and sort of measured. So he knows in the real world, nothing's simple, nothing's done easily. Mm. But yeah, he just adds a real sort of charm and charisma to what he could have been a bit of like a posh prick. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't know, there's something weird about Layer Cake. I just think it's everything, it has all the elements of a exploitation film. And yet, in my mind, it really isn't like it's sort of laughing at them at the same time. Like, there's a bit. Remember that scene with Sienna Miller? She's like scantily clad Sienna Miller. She very, very nearly seduces Daniel Craig, right? So, right before they can kind of consummate anything, these thugs come to his hotel room and just kick the shit out of him. Right. And it's sort of screaming at his male audience, you know, like, oh, this is what you want, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, this is what you want. Well, well, you can't have it. <laughs> I love that moment. Like, it's, just love that moment so much. Cause it, I love Layer Cake. La- Layer yeah. Cake was was made. I remember this hearing Matthew Vaughan talking about this because he produced Lockstock and Snatch. Yes. Maybe yeah. just Lockstock, but famously mm-hmm. produced Guy Ritchie's first forays into cinema, and arguably the the founding mem- the founding father of exploitation cinema himself, Guy Ritchie. Um, yeah, yeah. But Matthew Vaughan purposefully wanted to make a movie that kind of deconstructed and challenged and showed a different side, a more sophisticated side. Mm. of the british crime underworld and i think it works for it you know yeah it's a classier film does similarly ape scenes from scorsese which basically they all do yeah um they're all in case it It is odd yeah Yeah. it is odd yeah i mean i love scorsese i really do but yeah yeah. i'm I'm, I'm at the point in my life where i kind of prefer his non-gangster films you know hmm like Kunden? No, I've never seen Kunden, but uh. <laughs> oh man, yeah. My my favourite scene in Layer Cake, which sort of sums up what you're saying just there, Alfie, is the bit where uh, these. So there's a classic exploitation setup in that they steal a bunch of bunch of drugs from Amsterdam, some like ecstasy pills, and they think they're worth five million easy, and so they go to Daniel Craig, who's like the sort of middleman, mm. and he's screaming at them like just. It doesn't work like that. Like we have to find people. We have to find buyers. Yeah. It's hard work. And he's like, "Oh, you give a fucking aspirin a headache, mate." <laughs> and Daniel Craig yeah. is not having any of it. Like, and yeah. that is just epitomizes, like, say Matthew Vaughan's intentions there, uh, of just just kind of wanting to stray away from that that sort of like seedy, like nasty, digitally mm. shot British sort of you know that kind of nick love style and say you know no these people can be cool and you Mm. can you know you can kind of aspire to be 
not aspire to be a criminal at all, but you just sort of aspire to be a little bit more like Daniel Craig in just the yeah. way he conducts himself. <laughs> yeah. And ultimately, crime doesn't pay in that movie, does it? Like, you know, no, no, no. Yeah. Like, where Nick Love is too sympathetic to his characters, you know, mm. Matthew Vaughn very much kind of gives us exactly what we would expect to happen to someone yeah. that lives a life like that. You know, he doesn't, Daniel Craig yeah. doesn't win. That's the thing. About yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's trying to get out, isn't he? And he even, he sort of fails to do that. He yeah. fails to drive off into the sunset. Mm. Um, this great. Yeah. Just thought I'd thought it was worth a mention. No, always no. worth talking I, about I, I think it's a good thing to mention, especially in that. I really like the idea you guys, because it's it sort of given me a new thought, sense of enthusiasm for that film. Cause I don't really remember it that fondly for some reason. So I might give it another go. But, mm, uh, but, I, yeah. but I like the idea of, you know, the idea that realism shatters fantasy, you know, like the idea, yeah, yeah. You know, the mm. idea that you actually know you do have to put the hard yards in. If you're going to sell these drugs, you've got to. Oh, by the way, you're going yeah. to get your head kicked and it's not that fun getting your head kicked and all. You're not going to get yeah. out because crime doesn't pay. You know, it's, yeah, almost yeah, like, yeah. it's almost like this sort of like crooked facade that people like Nick Love and Danny Dyer have built. It's like, mm. it's like. Matthew Vaughan just comes and takes a couple of the blocks out and it all just falls. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. basically like saying to you, like, there's don't put all your eggs in, the, in this basket necessarily, fellas. You know what I mean? Like Yeah, yeah. yeah. Definitely. That's spot on. And and I think um it it ticks all your boxes of a criteria for what for these kind of films, but it uh Yeah, it does, yeah. It, but it, most importantly, it just criticizes it a little bit. And I think yeah. the problem with most of these movies is that they are designed for people that don't critically engage with the films you know mm, even yeah. snatch and and lockstock and um, i mean i really like lockstock i think that's a solid yeah solid film i'm not a fan of snatch personally i think it's basically just a sort of like lukewarm version of pulp fiction um and the mm. most redeeming thing about it is brad pitt attempts an irish accent oh, um yeah. <laughs> uh, other than that not a fan but lockstock is good yeah, it's funny. I I tried to watch Snatch about a year ago, uh, having watched it before and enjoyed and in, like enjoyed it. Just tried to, I couldn't get through it. Honestly, I turned mm. it on ten minutes in. I was like, "This is this is shit." <laughs> like, I really, really, really didn't like it the second time. Um, I don't know. Maybe ten years time, we'll watch it again, see what happens. Yeah, I tried the same with Football Factory as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I do it every year. Every Christmas. Yeah, that's every Christmas. <laughs> yeah. You know that movement for like Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Do you, do you think there's a tenuous mm. argument to make the football factory is a Christmas movie? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's no football at Christmas. We all know that. Um no, it's uh it's 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 a mess. Um and I think maybe like my my uh my assessment of this actually now with retrospect is that this movement was dead on arrival because mm of the work of people like Guy Ritchie and then latterly Matt, Matthew Vaughan. I mean, that came out, Layer Cake came out in what, 2004? That's right, yeah. Football Factory came out in 2004. Yeah. So straight away, dead on arrival, you know, yeah. the, a, a movie that is that apes and, and worships the kind of ground that came before it and a movie that aims to sort of deconstruct the very same ground, you know. Yeah, yeah. Only one of those is going to be stand up and be relevant. Mm. The, the most exciting thing about most of these movies is the fact that a lot of the actors went on to do quite interesting work afterwards, I think, really. Yeah, yeah. you got to pay your dues, and you? You, a lot of these actors probably would just like, get through this fucking shit, and then we can, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. you know, then I can go and play Othello. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I think Ben, ben Wheatley, um, technically his first film, and arguably Kill List as well, uh, could be called Bloke Exploitation Adjacent. 
Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with that. Agreed. Dan Terris, a hundred percent, is like a is a British gangster film, isn't it? Like, yeah. I only, I really, actually, I should have rewatched that for this because I think that would have been a good one. That we'll have to save that for part two. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The reckoning, but the revisit, the blocaisons. But I think you're right. I think we sort of alluded to Stimmy when we were sort of like structuring at the sort of flow of this conversation. Yeah, you know. And yeah. Wheatley came up a couple of times as someone that is sort of carrying the torch, but again, in that subversive way. You know, like if you think about yeah. uh, Kill List, it's sort of like taking these character archetypes and dragging them th- through real horror, you know? Yes. And actually, completely. also not just the horror of the the sort of the cults, culty stuff at the end, spoilers, mm. but, mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, but the, the dinner sequence and just shows how loveless and difficult and ultimately depressing their lives really, really are. And I think yeah. the camaraderie of, of of pugilism in sort of like Green Street and Football Factory, if you're that way inclined, is enough to make you sort of ignore that or paper over the cracks of the fact yeah. these are loveless, mm. horrible relationships. But you can ignore yeah. it for some reason because Nick Love, to his credit, man, just to make it seem all really honourable, like they're knights. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. but you know, in, in the case of Ben Wheatley, I think the strongest sort of satirical element, if we can call it satirical, is is in that is in the sort of the loveless sort of just fucking gray gray nature of the relationships, and that everything just seems mm. hollow and 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 bleak. And absolutely, now what yeah. these characters do to try and elevate themselves, be it through like the fiscal reward that the character seeks and why he takes on the hitman job. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to save him from this situation he's in because he is. Yeah. He has enveloped himself in the sort of the philosophy of these kinds of individuals that seem to be, you know, they're dogged British culture for like a decade. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, definitely. Oh man, Kill List is excellent, and it's funny because it's actually really similar to Outlaw in like structure. It's a, you know, he. I think Neil Maskell's character is, is he fought in? Is it Bosnia? Like that's where he's fought in some kind of horrible. Yeah, I think it war in yeah. Bosnia. It's something mm. like that. He, he was. He was. The implication was that he was a, a soldier, basically. Yes. Oh no, it's Kiev. It's Kiev. Kiev. That's right. Yeah. Um, oh shit. And so he's yeah he's returned from Kiev, which again more relevant than ever. But um, mm, yeah, uh, he, he's returned from Kiev, and he is what decides basically to become a hitman. And in in the same way that like outlaw takes aim at the kind of the worst aspects of. British society, which I think is a justifiable criticism, mm. Kill List does it too, but in a much more kind of challenging and like disturbing mm. way. I mean, all of the all of the people that uh, our our protagonists are kind of hired to kill in Kill List are evil. You know, yeah. and we know that because they they make a man like him break down. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, yeah. Outlaw is the same idea, but it's like they want to be like Nick Love wants you to kind of praise these guys for going out and like taking life into their own hands whereas kill list they're just they're hired guns you know they're just Mm. doing it again for personal gain much like your criteria ben which i think is spot on (laughs) yeah yeah. but um it's morally gray it's it's not attempting to make you kind of go these guys are righteous these guys are doing this for a good reason you Mm. know it makes you kind of go why like you know i'm rooting for them but why (laughs) yeah yeah what's weird about outlaw as well is that so many of his previous films, Nick Love's previous films, really glorify criminals. <laughs> and then he makes this movie where we're supposed to be repulsed by them and kind of like be happy that people are taking like action into their own hands. It's very, very confused morally, whereas I feel like Kill List kind of it makes you kind of question the morals intentionally, you know, yeah. by design. 
I think um, it does that as well. It does that by basically taking taking the archetype from a kind of bloke exploitation film and placing it largely in in the first act, placing it in the in the house, right? Yeah. So their downtime, you know, because there's a bit where he's getting frustrated because he's bought like a he's bought a jacuzzi and he can't fix it. Yeah, yeah. And, like, right, yeah. and, uh, and you know, the, the sort of quiet dinners and the sort of, uh, the quiet suburban family life and, and how that, the, the tension that boy, I just love, I love the way. Yeah. He does oh, that. it's excellent. Yeah. excellent. Really excellent. The script mm. is excellent. Also, I, th- I think mm. you into a really good point there as well about the nature of morality, morality or criminality and the stages of criminality. Like you said that Nick Love, sort of attempts to justify vigilante violence by saying, well, there's paedophiles around. And and it's the same, it's the same thing that Ben Wheatley does a similar thing, but in a more horrendous and visceral way. um, In the sense that the character outwardly confronts, you know, he confronts, he sees it for his own eyes, doesn't he? And, and and that is one of the most, obviously there's so many fucking disturbing scenes in that film, but it really sort of brings to light those things you were saying earlier about the sort of the attempts to justify violence on the basis of this sort of like hierarchy of horror, this criminality. And I don't know, like it's really interesting. God, the parallels are actually quite, there's quite a few. (laughs) You know, but I think it's intentional. I think Ben Wheatley is a different breed of filmmaker, much like Matthew Vaughan and even Guy Ritchie, you know, and I I don't think it's fair to completely write off Nick Love because he is a, rare example of a working class British filmmaker that's kind of, you know, sustained a pretty decent career. And I think that's an admirable trait. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> it is important to critically engage with the things that you're going to do, especially if you're going to do themes as difficult and disturbing as the ones that Nick Love does, but he handles them with kid gloves. Whereas mm. Nick loves kid gloves. Didn't <laughs> that. Um, whereas uh, Ben Wheatley kind of, you know, he really wants you to ponder on it. And I think as a result, he kind of, he, de- he demolishes the bedrock of bloke exploitation cinema to to give you something more rewarding yeah. because he has the same touchstones as Nick Love. He yeah. has he's maybe less inde- endeared to Martin Scorsese. I mean, he probably does like him watching Free Fire. I think he almost certainly does. Mm. But he he obviously has the same drawing of kind of British social realism. Mm. You know, mm. um, yeah, yeah. particularly Mike Lee and, and filmmakers like that. Uh, he, they use some of the same cast act, uh, cast members. Yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah, they're both British filmmakers that obviously kind of have come on come out from a sort of particular era of filmmaking where there was there was money to be spent on films. Yeah, <laughs> unfortunately, yeah. most of those movies were about gangsters and hooligans. <laughs> I think yeah. Ben yeah. Wheatley just has more command, though, doesn't he? I think he has more command, he and his intentions are purer. Uh, and he obviously is someone, I mean, not to, like you say, I mean, you know, what a rag on Nick Love. I mean, again, it's rare to see a working class filmmaker in any country, you know, making stuff. So I think that has to be commended, but I just think that that, that his command of his influences, you know, and everything he does, it's so, like you say, there is a more sort of child, there's an inherent childishness to the way he approaches things. I I think it's probably more deliberate, in the sense that you know, there's a simplicity that you mentioned earlier, which appeases mm, yeah. that straight to DVD. Ugh, <laughs> ugh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas Ben Wheatley, like you say, is smash. I love that thing you said about him smashing the sort of foundational work of that genre. No, I love that. I, I love that we've managed to find some kind of you know some diamonds in the rough of this kind of specific era of cinema as well. Yeah, yeah. I guess you could argue is 1999, but I'm going to say 2004. 
yeah. up till about 2012, which was when Nick Love made his last kind of big British film, um, The Sweeney, a remake of yeah, a um, 70s cop show. Oh, yeah, starring- with Ray Winston. Ray Winston, yeah, yeah. And Plan B, the musician, okay. weirdly enough. Um, that one actually, like, in terms of aesthetics, it's like his best looking film. Like, it looks really neat. And, like, they obviously, like, digital cameras had kind of caught up with yeah. Nick Love's vision <laughs> by that point. <laughs> uh, his, vision um, was, his vision was just, yeah, it was ahead of its just time. Sh- aggressively shake the camera. Yeah. Yeah. Vision, I think, yeah. But there are, yeah, there are gems in there. And, and that's, the, that's the framework for it. And, and fuck, I mean, even Bronson kind of fits that category. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I was thinking about that earlier, yeah, actually, yeah. about I was going to mention Bronson. Um, primarily because the poster looks a little bit like the football factory. It's got that yeah. stenciled yeah. artwork. I wonder, yeah. <laughs> I, wonder, I wonder if that was deliberate as well, because even though Refn at that time was obviously, you know, he's experimenting, certainly in terms of his form and his style, I wonder how effective it was a marketing move to sort of tag it along with those kinds of films. I would lo- I would love to see their reaction, the same people at the Football Factory coming out of the cinema after they've watched Bronson. I would love to know what they were sort of <laughs> I know, saying. I, I, I wonder too, because that movie is really weird, isn't it? And yeah. like Mm. has like extended kind of like dream sequences in it and stuff and like moments where he's like dressed as like a kind of vaudeville clown yeah yes in the audience yeah um i i kind of wish that legend you mentioned that earlier had been made with that same amount of kind of critical depth i think it would have probably made the movie a bit better for me because um it's a bit of a hagiography and and i do not think that that those those uh villains should have been, been in any way uh lionized um yeah which is maybe why Bronson's a better film for me, but um, yeah, yeah, agree. Yeah, no, that's that's my yeah. Sorry, I'll get my I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> oh. No, but thank you, um, like for le- allowing me to come on here and and just like chalk out a weird kind of you know horrible conspiracy theorists pinboard of like <laughs> about British cinema and a particular movement because it, it is fascinating that like, yeah it really is yeah this, oh. this was a real this was a real movement for a bit you know yeah man mm. and it's been a real honor to have you on here talking about it and it's been a way of which we can frequently talk about Tamer Hassan and Fallacia <laughs> <laughs> if anything, you know people need to take that at least I mean, you yeah. know I, I reckon that should be the shot that you use for the uh, artwork <laughs> yeah. you know it's him maybe. with his like serene expression <laughs> definitely maybe it. this is what maybe this is what uh, is going to bring the emails in Danny is uh, <laughs> mentioning this this more we should mention yeah. every single episode and, yeah yeah uh, <laughs> Hordes of correspondence. Yeah, we should, yeah. We should get Tamer Hassan as a guest, but throughout the interview, we have to insist he sucks on ice lollies the whole time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> get through like fucking twenty calippos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd, be, it'd be such a coup for us to get him on just to do that. I'd be really interested to actually hear what he makes of his time working in those films because Nick Love gave him such prominent roles in in those movies. Uh, I wonder if he was like, if he just loves it, you know, if he's like, oh yeah, he's, Nick Love's a fucking geezer, mate. Or, or if he was like, <laughs> or if he's like, yeah, actually I really studied and tried to get into, into character when I was being noshed off in the nightclub, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Weeks of preparation. Uh, yeah, that's great. Um, Right, shall we get ourselves over to that little old outro? Absolutely. Questing the cinematic void. 
Well, there we have it then. Thank you so much, Alfie, for coming on again. It's been an absolute blast having you back. Uh, oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and and, and humouring me as well. Oh, <laughs> not at all. It's it, it's, it's been, been a wicked, man. Yeah, it's been a real blast to do. It's it's lived up the, the hype that we set up all those months ago when we were drunkenly sat on my sofa. Um, yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So thank you so much, man. We love you. All Pleasure. Way. Thank you, mate. And congratulations on twenty episodes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Here's to the oh, next yeah. twenty. Yeah. Maybe then we'll get an email. Uh, yeah, yeah. Not bitter. Time Hassan, presumably. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Moving on to next week, then. Uh, we alluded to this, I think, in the outro of our last episode. Uh, the Flash. Uh, yes. Said before, but, you know, DC's attempt to set up for the James Gunn evolution. Um, mm. that obviously DC, I think, are hedging all of their bets on, really. Um, oh, mate, yeah. And I think this seems to be the film that's going to kick all that off. So interesting, especially interesting given all of the, well, the weird stuff going on with... Yeah, Ezra Miller. Ezra Miller, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I, um... I don't know, man. I mean, obviously, I don't know. We're going to have to address that. Uh, we try and avoid yeah, talking about so. stuff like that too much as it's a film podcast. But I think it'd be perhaps an, an area of discussion about how sort of Hollywood deals with you know, or how Hollywood yeah. projects the stars and how they sort of handle them and manipulate them, or even you know, in times like this, try and reconstruct them for the better yeah. for the betterment of their movies. I don't know. Maybe that's something in that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's interesting. I I think that you know we'll talk about this more next week, but the way they've handled it is just bizarre. Um, it's I don't think it marks you know the end of of that kind of the thing started in 2017 with like Weinstein and things like that, but it's definitely interesting how that has played out. Um, yeah, I've not really, I haven't seen any DC films in a really long time as well. So revisiting that and that whole ilk and maybe sort of we'll touch on sort of Snyder and all that kind of stuff as well. Uh, yeah. Looking forward to it. Should be interesting. Yeah. I, I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say uh, mm. on that movie because it's, it's such a, an unusual element of Hollywood that this like, apart from anything else captured in the DCEU mm. failure um, and yeah. basically being the kind of death knell of that of said franchise, the backstory of the movie having about five different directors is fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Ezra Miller, the Ezra Miller of it all as well. You know, you can't ignore that. No, but uh, I'm really intrigued to hear what you have to say. I don't want to give away what I think about it. Uh, I'll wait until you've, had your podcast and we'll chat about it personally um on our premium exclusive <laughs> podcast that you can only hear if you become our friends and hang out. <laughs> Small but, uh, hey, i'm sure you'll agree <laughs> yeah. what an enticing prospect yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. but yeah I, I i i'm excited to hear what you have to say and um yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Matt. Thanks yeah, again. No problem. I mean, it's interesting because I, I was sort of thinking actually on the train uh, back from work today. There's a bit of a roadmap always sort of established for films because uh, next mm. week is Asteroid City, so maybe we could do that. The week after is Indiana Jones. So Ooh, just say it. Right. It seems to have almost been written for us. Almost. I don't know how you feel about that, but I am up for that. That's a good trajectory. Uh, Wes Anderson episode will be interesting because uh, my opinion on him isn't the most popular opinion so there we go i feel like at this point as well like if you're not on, if you're not on the wes anderson train i can't imagine there's ever going to be a movie that's going to make like with the way he kind of just dabble doubles down on his aesthetic you're going to be like oh, i get it now you know like, yeah you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, yeah agreed yeah. it's going to cement my um my disliking i think asteroid city based on the, the look of the trailer but anyway well if there's one thing i could say is you've got a guaranteed listener for 
all three of your next episodes. Thank heavens. Yeah. <laughs> as well, but maybe, you know, with a fake name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll make, I'll make multiple accounts. Yeah, and, it'd be weird if we were like, oh, we've got an email from Alfie. Uh, <laughs> 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 yeah. uh, maybe be an email yeah, from just, Alfie as Tamer Hassan. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm writing like, an email saying, "Bring back that that handsome stud that was on the my two favourite episodes, that being Fablemans and Bloke Exploitation." <laughs> right. In the meantime, uh, enjoy this episode. Enjoy our 19 others. That's 20 now, and uh, we'll be in your ears again soon. Love you lots. See you later. See ya. Bye.